You know, salvation is a, a daily walk. It's walking with the Lord day by day. It's having that trust with God. Not putting confidence in some man-made things that perhaps we have done, but putting confidence in the work that Christ has done. We are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, but we walk in fellowship with God, and we should from the day of our salvation forward until we see our Lord face to face. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us to a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. I titled it, From the Passage, The Circumcision of the Heart. Paul continues to build his argument to bring indictment on both the Jew and the Gentile, but he specifically names his Jewish brothers here in the end of chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. So today we're going to look at the circumcision of the heart. And I have three points, blind guides and false lights, verses 17 through 20. Do what I say, not what I do, verses 21 through 24. And to keep or not to keep, verses 25 through 29. Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive from your word this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would not only, the Holy Spirit who has inspired Paul to pen these words, Nearly 2,000 years ago, now, Lord, let your spirit work in our hearts to receive that which you have for us this day, your church, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Do what I say, not what I do, verses 21 through 24. Verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Or do you say, do not commit adultery? Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. I titled this, Do What I Say, Not What I Do, because that is pretty familiar to so many of us. We, it's one of those uh, parental practices that we share with our children every once in a while when they catch us doing something that we had told them not to do, perhaps. We have used it. And the free dictionary says of that phrase, 
trying to explain the meaning. We know the meaning. But model yourself after my instructions, not my actions. And the phrase implies that the speaker is imperfect and makes mistakes. One should follow their advice, but not imitate them. You teach, but you do not do. So in verses 21 and 22, they taught others, but they did not walk in the truth themselves. And although they could teach God's word and they could do it chapter and verse, they did not walk in obedience to God's word. I've heard this summarized in this way, and this is what it reminded me of. Three points Paul gave us, robbery, adultery, and idolatry. And this is how I've heard the Modesto Manifesto summarize. Don't touch the money, and don't touch the women, and don't touch the glory. From early in his ministry, Graham and his associates were sensitive to public perception of traveling preachers. So early as 1948, Billy Graham and his associates devised a philosophy of ministry, later known as the Modesto Manifesto, which outlined their personal pledge to evade the moral scandals that previous evangelists had fell into, specifically the Modesto Manifesto, committed to avoid any appearance of financial abuse, to shun even the appearance of sexual improprieties. Graham made it a point not to travel, this is in parentheses, or meet alone with any woman other than his wife, to cooperate with any local churches willing to participate in united evangelism efforts, and to be honest and reliable in their publicity and reporting the results. Sadly, many unbelieving Jews of Paul Day had the practice of touching the money, the women, the glory. Perhaps they should have formed their own Masada Manifesto. It would have been beneficial for them. Dishonoring lawbreakers, verses 23 and 24. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. And although they made their boast in the law, they were lawbreakers. Even the Gentiles saw the hypocrisy of the Jews as God's name was being blasphemed by their actions. This word for hypocrisy, it's a Greek word that refers to play acting as the actor spoke in dialogue. And so you just put on this act, it's play acting. And Paul reveals that the unbelieving Jews he saw them as merely putting on the mask of religion without allowing the law of God to transform their very hearts. First Timothy 4, 1 and 2, Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The word of God can bring conviction to our hearts, and it should bring conviction to our hearts. But the more we refuse to be obedient to the word of God, then our own conscience then becomes seared as with a hot iron. And this is where the unbelieving Jews found themselves at that day. Paul encourages us in Romans 12 too, our theme as we go through the book of Romans is to be transformed. 
And he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And whether a Modesto Manifesto or a Masada Manifesto, it was good for Christians, for Jews, to have a set standard upon which to live their lives. Not just to know the standard, but live by the standard. When we no longer live under the standard of the, but rather say, do what I say, not what I do, then like Paul, we're unable to say to others, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. See, Paul didn't live by that standard, do what I say, not what I do. Paul actually said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ as the NIV has it. We're not just to teach the truth, we are to live the truth. And then finally, verses 25 through 29, to keep or not to keep, obviously a play from Shakespeare's famous line to be or not to be, this is the question that written in 1602, the play Hamlet, where Hamlet's dilemma is that although he was dissatisfied with life and lists out its many torments, the torments of life, he was unsure what death may bring, the uncertainty of death. And so the question, to be or not to be, that is the question. Well, to keep or not to keep, the question that we apply to verses 25 to 29 as we look at these verses now. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physical uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision, that of the heart, in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So circumcision, that becomes uncircumcision. Verse 25, circumcision, we know historically in the Old Testament, it is a cutting away of the flesh that connected the Jewish people to the Abrahamic covenant. It was also a reminder that they were not to live after the flesh, but the things of God. God had said to Abraham in Genesis 17, verses 10 and 11, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So the circumcision, Paul said in verse 25, it's indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, then your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Paul teaches that the true profit in circumcision is that of not connecting it to their heritage, but in the keeping of God's law. And over time, the religious rulers, they expanded upon 
the Ten Commandments to have 613 laws. For us today, they had 365 negative laws, the 365 thou shall nots. You could have one for every day on your calendar. My daily calendar, a reminder of what you shouldn't do today. And there were also 248 positive laws. And since it was impossible to keep 613 laws, the Jews tried to narrow down the commandments uh, to keep a list of the most important commandments. It's much like the church has done by naming the seven cardinal sins or deadly sins, that of lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. But James reminds us in James 2.10, whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So we discover that by breaking the law, being lawbreakers, their circumcision thus became uncircumcision. But also the reverse is true. Verse 26, the uncircumcision becomes circumcision. Verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And Paul contends that the circumcised, being lawbreakers, had negated the true purpose of their circumcision, but also the reverse being true, that concerning the uncircumcised man or woman, those who walked according to the commandments of God's law, then their uncircumcision was counted as circumcision. See, God looks at the heart, and we learn this in 1 Samuel 16, 7, where the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel was at the house of Jesse, and God had sent him there to anoint the future king of Israel. God had sent him there to anoint David. And David's dad, Jesse, didn't even bother to bring David in from the field where he was watching the sheep. When the prophet Samuel came, he gathered his sons around him, but left David off somewhere else to where Samuel, after the Lord had refused all of the six sons, asked, is there another? Oh yes, there's David, but we didn't think you'd want him. Well, bring him on. This is the one that God wanted. God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. But David's first brother, Scripture tells us that he was a handsome man. Samuel looked at David's eldest brother and thought, man, this guy looks like a king. This has got to be the one. And this is where God responded to Samuel and said, don't look at his appearance, his physical stature. I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. Their outward circumcision, verses 27 and 28, will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even though with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Over time, Many of the Jews came to believe that their fleshly circumcision, along with keeping the letter of the law, 
brought them into a right relationship with God. Paul contended that true Jews were not those who had the outward evidences of their heritage, like the keeping of the law or the sign of circumcision, but true Jews were those who allowed God to do an inward work in their heart. The Lord is not swayed by these external considerations, but he looks inward into the heart of those who believe. Colossians 2.11 says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of its sins in the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ. We're talking about Judaism here in Romans chapter 2 because that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote this. And we always want to look at the historical part of Scripture. We want to understand it in its historical setting, in the context of which it had been given. That's why we teach through the Bible verse by verse here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. But then once we have set the historical setting of the context of the passage, look at what the passage was attempting to teach those when it was written, like here in Romans 2 in Paul's day and age, then we can connect it to the church today. And though Paul was talking about Judaism, we can see the church today, that within the church today, there are many people who are dependent on a physical baptism that perhaps was done for them by their parents. Circumcision, think about this, circumcision was done for the male for them on the eighth day. There was no eight-day-year-old baby boy that decided on the seventh day, you know, Mom and Dad, I think I should be circumcised. No, it was done for them. It couldn't have been done by their own desire or means, of course. And it's not that that is necessarily a bad thing to do good things for our children, to bring them to church, to raise them to know Christ. But people need to make that personal decision to follow Christ at some point in their life. So in the churches today, there are those who depend upon perhaps the baptism that was done for them by their parents, or maybe the church membership. They're on some membership role somewhere in the United States or in the world. And although these things can help bring someone into a right relationship with God, they can also cause someone to put their confidence in the flesh and not in God. It can cause people to put their confidence in, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I took care of that when I was a child. I don't have to worry about that. I'm, when I die, I'm going to heaven. Well, how do you know? Because I was baptized when I was a child. Because I went to Sunday school when I was a child. Because I went forward one time when I was a child. And then you can ask, well, what are you doing today in your walk and relationship with God? I'm not doing anything. What do you mean you're not doing anything? You know, salvation is a, a daily walk. It's walking with the Lord day by day. It's having that trust with God. Not putting confidence in some man-made things that perhaps we have done, but putting confidence in the work that Christ has done. We are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, but we walk in fellowship with God from, we should, from the day of our salvation forward until we see our Lord face to face. So inwardly, the inwardly circumcised, verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that 
of the heart, in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So according to Paul, real Jews were not simply the descendants of Abraham, those who had had that cutting away of the flesh, but real Jews were those who had had the cutting away of the heart, those who have learned to live under the spirit, and the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, those whose praise comes from God and not from men. Jeremiah 4.4 4 says, Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Take away the foreskin of your heart. It's an inward thing. It's of the heart. And Jesus paid the price of our sins. We know this. His going to the cross, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Jesus was asked. Remember I said 613 laws that they tried to zero in all the commandments of Scripture. Ten commandments are tough enough to try to obey and follow. But 613, impossible. So Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, he was asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? The Jews of Jesus' day. Basically saying, yeah, I know there's 613 commandments we're to follow, but what's the great commandments? If we could just follow that one. And Jesus responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Those who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves, they've learned to live under the spirit of the law since the church is no longer under the letter of the law. So we find in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So we discover that true circumcision, it's an issue of the heart. So as I said in chapters 1 and 2, Paul trying to really lay it out there. He's bringing an indictment upon the unbelieving world, the moral Gentile, the unbelieving Jews. He's doing this to point people, and he'll begin to do that in chapter 3. I'm glad we're finally going to get to chapter 3, but he's still kind of beats up on us in the beginning of chapter 3. He's not done yet. But he's doing this to really point to Jesus Christ as the answer. Today, we find that people are trying to kind of make up their beliefs as they go. I am convinced that it is the smartest thing that we could possibly do is to stay true to the ancient path. The path that God laid and set before us. The path that Jesus walked in our behalf when he went to the cross, where he offered his life upon the cross, where he paid the price of our sin, that we might be saved. And as a result of our salvation, then, we live not under the letter of the law. We want to understand the law to know how we should walk. But we live under the spirit of the law, knowing that God doesn't measure the outward appearance 
but he measures our heart. But let me say this, that what the Lord is doing in our heart should shine outwardly, that other people can know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word that you have given us today here in Romans chapter 2. And I pray, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, I know that when the word of God is taught, that it can bring conviction to our hearts. And Lord, if you're convicting us today, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts today. Conviction is not necessarily to bring judgment. Conviction is to bring a response that forgiveness might be able to come. But Lord, if there is no response, no repentance, eventually we become like the unbelieving Jews here, our own consciences being seared as with a hot iron. So I pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to receive that which your spirit desires for this church, for us as a whole, but as individuals as well. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.